sure. I'm uh, Jamie Sweet. Uh, my kennel is uh, Blue River Bullies, Blue River Bulldogs, um, Blue River Shorty Bulls. I answer to all that. The River answer to that too. But um, I've done Bulldogs my whole life. And so it's uh, it's quite a few years now. And so uh, I'm doing Shorty Bulls now. That's that's um, That's been my latest adventure. So that's where I'm at now. What got you interested in uh, bulldogs to begin with, and what was your your first introduction to them? Well, my first—I mean, I—I I was just born into—I was born into the uh, bulldogs. Actually, my parents um, raised bulldogs, uh, and we lived on a farm. And so, I've never known life without a bulldog. And uh, English bulldogs is what what they what they did. That was in the '60s um english bulldogs and so like as early as i can remember i was in a whelping box with an english bulldog you know hooking up the puppies making sure everything was okay and you know setting with them and and so it just came natural to me and i always loved bulldogs you know i loved so many things about them i loved the way they looked and i loved the way they acted i just i never did like the way they couldn't keep up you know and and we led a very active lifestyle and we did a lot of hunting and you know hiking and things like that growing up so i always liked the ones that could keep up and that was um you know that was my whole attraction to the bulldogs was the look first and then what they did what they looked like and so i got really <clears throat> really involved in that and my dad had other breeds of dogs too we had hunting dogs and you know he had some pit bulls and some airedales and so you know, a lot of dogs in my life and a lot of horses in my life, too. We, Like I say, we lived on a farm, raised cattle, and, you know, horses were a big part of our life. We showed horses, raised horses, and, you know, there's so many similarities with horses and dogs. And uh, so, you know, it was natural for me to just carry on the lifestyle that I'd lived all my life. And so I uh, married my husband. He had a Great Dane when we got married. And... Uh, he converted to bulldogs, I guess you'd say, too, because that's all we've done since. But uh, when I saw the, I saw uh, some American bulldogs, oh, in the 90s, I guess. It was in the early 90s, you know, and I wanted one, and they were not, you know, in my area. And so it was something that I, you know, I just thought about. I, I'd raised a lot of rat terriers at that point, too, and that was just, you know, if you're on a farm, you have little terriers for the mice and rodent control and that so you know that was just a given too we did that but i uh i subscribed to dog world and we didn't have the internet or anything like that if you wanted to know about a dog you know maybe saw an ad in dog world and and you called and if you wanted a puppy you know you were writing letters back and forth and mailing them and you know the photos if you wanted photos we had to wait until they were developed and then if you didn't get good shots of course you know, you had to send them anyway. So w things were a lot different then. But um, I would see them in dog world. And, you know, I just wanted one so bad. And and so I say we saved our money and we finally got our first American bulldog. And uh, we really like Consider joining our Patreon community to access exclusive content, early releases and personalized experiences.
subscribing not only supports Sean from the Bulldog Social Club, but also connects you with a community of like-minded enthusiasts. Whether you enjoy Sean's interviews, appreciate creative processes, or desire exclusive perks, your subscription plays a crucial role. Click the link, subscribe, and be a part of this journey with us. Liked it. And so, you know, that led to some more. And I had kids by that point, too. And, you know, it's a lot to raise kids and, and do dogs. And, and I worked a full-time job. And my husband worked. And so we were a really busy family. And uh, I was really efficient then. And now I don't have, you know, the busyness. And I think I was more efficient then with all the stuff that goes into a, you know, an active kennel. But, you know, breeding dogs and raising dogs and showing dogs and talking dogs and meeting dog people, you know, I loved every aspect of that. And it was, it was really something that I enjoyed. And so, you know, I'll always enjoy the dogs and I'll always enjoy breeding because, I mean, it was just such a natural thing, you know, when you live on a farm, you see birth and you see death and, you know, it becomes a natural thing. And I think that's what, um, that's what really helped was, you know, I was accustomed to that. It wasn't some novel idea. It was how I grew up every day. I did that, you know, from as early as I can remember. And so when, when people ask me, you know, if I had advice for people today, what it would be, if you're going to breed dogs, I'd say, you know, have space because it's really hard when you don't have space, have space and have a lot of money to spend on it. And uh, yeah, you should be, you should be fine. That should get you through the learning process. And, you know, we never stop learning, but you learn as you go. And there's definitely an order to learning it. So you can apply it to your program or your project, whatever you want to call it, you know, to get the results that you want. So anyway, we did American Bulldogs, we did those extensively, and we weight pulled, and we showed confirmation. Do you enjoy listening to audio podcasts like I do? Consider joining the Bulldog Social Club Spotify membership. For a limited time, it's only $1.99. Get early releases and personalized experiences. Subscribing not only supports Sean from the Bulldog Social Club, but also connects you with a community of like-minded enthusiasts. Whether you enjoy Sean's interviews, appreciate creative processes, or desire exclusive perks, your subscription plays a crucial role. Click the link, subscribe, and be a part of this journey with us. And we had many of them, and um, that's a lot of dog. We and our kids were small then, and so you know it was a lot of dog to to contend with, you know, you need the fences and proper fences and, and things like that. And so when we started, I didn't have a kennel. That was another dream of mine. And so, you know, a few years went by with, with a small number of dogs and then we were able to build the kennel, which was a dream come true for me. And so we built this kennel that, you know, could house American bulldogs. So it has concrete block walls that are seven foot high on the inside and 16 foot custom custom made welded runs on the outside and a four by six on the inside and a 12 foot alleyway and it was just a dream come true and it was um you know we made it very sturdy 
to hold the American Bulldogs and to make sure it was safe. You know, if we weren't weren't out there, they it was safe. They couldn't get out and nothing could get in. And, you know, uh, we did that for a, for a long time. I don't, I can't remember how many years we did that, but a lot of years, you know, and I don't, I don't keep track. Like I don't have track of the dates exactly because it's a way of life for me, you know? Mm -hmm. And just like when I made Shorty Bulls, a lot of people ask me like, when did it start? I can't tell you the exact date because I didn't sit down one day and say, okay, today, today's the day I'm going to build this little dog. I, I started you know, the the reason and, and how I started Shorty Bulls was I could tell I was getting older. And when I say the American Bulldogs are a lot of dog, I mean, we had a lot of 118, 120 pound dogs. And like I say, we w had an active lifestyle. When you get bumped into by an American Bulldog, you know, they can only hit your knees so many times because it's a lot of force to your knee. And so you know, we were roughhousing and, and I got, I got rammed in the leg one more time. And I said, I'm, I'm going to build something. I'm going to build something that I can take to the nursing home when I get old. That's what I said, you know, and because I didn't want a little frail, fragile, yappy dog with long hair. That wasn't, that wasn't what I wanted. You know, I wanted the same things that I liked about a bulldog you know, I wanted the features, the bulldog features and the stout build and the bone and, you know, the attitude. I wanted all that stuff, you know, but I wanted it about this big, you know, so I could handle it real easy. And that's what got me started, you know, and and the other thing that made me want to do that is, you know, whenever you do a breeding, there's a challenge involved. You have a you have this idea of what you're what you want, you know. But can you get it? And and that's always been just intriguing to me. I mean, intriguing to the point of, you know, I want to learn about it always. Still to this day, I'm, I'm still learning things. And I love it. I want to read about it. I want to look at it. I want to touch it. I want to spend a day with it, you know. And, and when you're intrigued like that, you just can't stop. You know, there there's just constant information that you you know, you're interested in and, and you're very self-motivated to just keep doing it and trying it. And fortunately I had the space to do it. And I had, you know, I had a good support system because it's hard to do. It's hard to do very many dogs without a support system. You just, you're tied to them so hard every day and, you know, it's hard to get out and, and do things. It's like having babies at home, you know? So you have to find somebody to care for that. And it's, you know, it's hard to do, but it's really, um, I'm still intrigued to this day. After all these years, I'm still deeply intrigued by dogs. I keep thinking it's going to go away. It doesn't ever go away, right. you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what got me to Shorty Bulls, you know? That's not, you know, we can talk about the technicalities, but yeah, I got hit in the leg one too many times and, you know, I'd already done the oldies. You know, I'd been in the Americans for a while. And, you know, I said I always had a love of an English bulldog. Well, I was driving to the airport one day and I happened to see an oldie. I didn't I didn't know that's what it was. It was just one of those dogs that makes you put the brakes on, you know, makes you turn your head. It was one of those dogs. And so I had to go around the block and, you know, go 
and, it, and back then, you know, it was, it was safe to go ask somebody about their dog, you know, that you just saw and you're a complete mm -hmm. stranger. And so that's what I did. And we had a nice talk and the dog was just so beautiful. And uh, so I checked out oldies and, you know, they appealed to me a, a lot. You know, they were, they were, they looked more like the English bulldog and, and I loved that about them and they could keep up, you know, and they're healthier you know, it was just a win-win. Mm -hmm. And and so then as I dug deeper into that, I found uh I found the WBA and, and Ray Giacobi and and I called and we talked and talked and talked and talked some more. And anyway, I was allowed to do some foundation work. And that was a great, you know, that was a that was a beautiful thing that I was allowed to do that, you know. And because I, I wanted to do it, you know, I didn't want to have to, you know, put some fake papers on something or whatever. I didn't want to do any of that. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do and and document it. And, you know, we'll see how it went. And so Ray allowed me to do that. And it worked really well. And I feel like it worked very well because, you know, I was so familiar with the American Bulldogs. I was very familiar with the English Bulldogs, and I knew there was a certain kind that I wanted to put together, you know, and so I, I bred a lot of oldies, and I feel I was very successful there. I made a lot of beautiful, beautiful, healthy, functional dogs, you know, that had type, and, you know, they had the muscular structure that I liked, and, and they had the skeletal structure that I liked, and they were just very pretty dogs. And, uh, but again, they were very big. Those were weighing about 105 pounds, you know, from 80 to 105 pounds on average. And so I was able to do a lot of foundation work there. And as you know, foundation works when you, you know, you bring in a, a purebred dog to what you have. And, and it's very, that's a common thing to do when you need to, you know, add type or, maybe correct something or if something's, you know, if you're losing something, maybe you need to do that to bring it back. <clears throat> they do it in a lot of breeds, um, but it needs to be, you know, it's a very serious thing as well. And, you know, I had, I had learned so much from my previous experience with dogs. I feel like that had a, had a huge bearing on my oldies, you know, and I, I still made some mistakes there and had some great success there that, you know, that carried over that I used when I did shorties. And so that's, um, you know, you can learn from, you can learn from all kinds of experiences, good and good and bad. And, you know, as, as well as we plan and, and as good as our intentions are, you know, you just, some things just don't turn out no matter how well they're planned, no matter what tests you have done. No matter how good your eye is, some things just don't turn out. So, you know, as a breeder, you have to be prepared for for those times. You have to be honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it it is something that happens. You know, and it can just come out of nowhere, really. And uh, so, anyway, that's just my experience led me to to this uh, vision of shorty bulls. Mm -hmm. So I was just doing it for me, and you know, at that time, I didn't know where it was going to go at all. You know, I hadn't even done it yet. I just, I was just starting. And so I wanted to have several grown adults um, before I, before it went to the public eye.
you know, I just wanted to make sure that it was, you know, solidified like I wanted it. And I had something to show because, you know, we can all have a vision, but a vision is just that until you make it, you know, you're dreaming mm -hmm. about it. And yeah. And so I wanted to have these 10 adults or 20 adults, you know, would even be better before it went, you know, before it went mainstream, but that's not how it happened. Um, I had a, had an oldie show in 2000 and I was working on it then. And yeah, my judges came a little bit early because they knew I was working on some, you know, that was, that was in the good old days when we could, you know, tease each other and stuff. And, you know, it, it was a, it was a great time to breed dogs then. But anyway, they caught me. I was taking the shorties. I was taking my little project and I was going to put it away. And, you know, so we could focus on the dog mm -hmm. show. And no, nah, mm -hmm. they saw it and, you know, it was pretty exciting. And so then it went, you know, it got put out there and yeah. And it had a great little surge of popularity and, Oh, those were crazy times. You know, it's, you think about it and you think, you know, what you're going to face doing something like that. But there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that, you know, just sideswipes mm -hmm. you. But when you do build a new breed and it's actually becoming a breed, you know, all new breeds come from old breeds. Every single one of them, the new breeds come from breeds that we've already had here. But when people have the old breeds, sometimes they're not very excited for you to make a new breed. So out of respect, I gave it a different name and I'm, I'm big on that. I think, you know, if you're going to take this on, take it on all mm -hmm. the way, you know, so, you know, you're going to keep your own records because who's going to take, who's going to take this, you know, little idea of yours. Cause if the first, it's just an idea, you know, you have to make sure it works and all that. So anyway, um, yeah, it, it caused uh, havoc with some people, some um, English bulldog breeders, some French bulldog breeders. Um, yeah, they didn't, they didn't like my idea very well. And, you know, felt like they should call and tell me about it, which we had those talks. And and I don't think they realized, you know, I did give it a different name. And so it's not it's not taking your shine. It's not, you know, it, it's a different thing, the way that all dogs and dog breeds come to be. And so, you know, I that was in the beginning. That was a lot of phone calls and a lot of um you know, a lot of volatile people, but we lived through all that and, and continued and, you know, um, foundation breedings had to be planned and approved and, you know, evaluated. And it was, it was kind of crazy, you know, 20 some years mm -hmm. ago. And I did, I, you know, it was, I mean, I wanted it to take off then, you know, but it's, it's hard to, it's hard to believe that when you're in the middle of it, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to believe all that, but yeah, it was really popular and it, and it was timing was everything too. Timing's everything in, in dogs too, you know, something at the right time can just flourish so much. And at the wrong time, you know, it, it can just get crushed. And maybe the idea was a good one just at the wrong time. So, you know, we know how important timing is for breeding and for whelping and, you know, you don't want to bring a dog out to the show at the wrong time. You want to wait until it looks 
you know, really mm -hmm. good for its age and it's a good time to bring it out. But timing is so important. And so, you know, that that was to my advantage of the timing was great. And uh, yeah, and it just went from there to today. And, and so today I feel like I've got my program, you know, where I want it. I, I knew it was going to take many years to, you know, establish a solid type. People ask me all the time, like how, you know, how many generations tell us to breed? Well, I don't go by that. I don't, I'm not, I'm not as concerned with the generations as I am with what it actually is right now, right in front mm -hmm. of me. Because if it's 50 generations deep and I'm not sure what it is, then all those generations don't matter because I don't know what it is. Right. Does that make Definitely. sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of the age old thing we talk about in dogs, you know, generational or foundational and well, foundational, you know, foundational needs to be, it's, it's not for entry level. You know, there's a lot of things you need to understand before you should do foundation work, I believe. Um, although it's exciting, there's a whole lot more to it than that, you know, and, but we need it as soon as you leave, if, if you're losing type, you have to keep the type in there. And then somebody will say, well, it's not more important than health. No, it's, it's not. But I mean, I'm taking health into consideration. Like I'm taking for granted, it's a healthy dog. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't understand why anybody would mess with an unhealthy dog to try to make it reproduce. Okay, so I want to make that clear because I'm often misunderstood on that. But, yes, health is important. Soundness is very important. And type is important, too. If we if we want to have breeds, you know, type is very important. So, you know, I'm real, I'm real big on type. Um, I think there's a lot of people today that don't realize what type is, but... You know, if you are going to breed a litter or show a dog, you know, you should know about your type. You know, you should know the five components and know how important it is because to be a breed of dog, you have to have your own unique type. And there may be similarities because you, your ancestors are other breeds. So you will see similarities, but you should see differences. And if everything you know, is available in every size, shape, and color, and there's no restrictions, you know, that doesn't make you very unique for very right. And And don't we all want to be unique to some degree? Right. I believe I believe we do. So when people say, you know, it's not equal, it's definitely not equal. It was never supposed to be equal. If people would think about that, we don't all want the same dog, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, we, we don't, we want, you know, our special dogs. And so I think, I think those things come to you after, you know, you've been knee deep in this for a while. But so when you, when I was building my breed type was super important, you know, I knew the features that I wanted I knew what I didn't want. And it doesn't matter what kind of a breed I have. I like bully dogs. Mm -hmm. I will like a bully greyhound. If there's such a thing, uh, that's the one I'm liking. You know, I'm liking a bully, the bulliest rat terrier. I'm going to pick the rat terrier with the bone and blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. That's my personal. That's what I like personally. Mm -hmm. You know, another reason why type is important is judging. 
You know, if we're judging, then I can't pick my personal preference. I must pick what is in the standard and what is described by the standard. And I think that takes a while to get to that point, too. And I know I'm jumping around, but I'm trying to tie this all together. So, you know, if you're old in this, you understand what I'm saying. If you're new, maybe maybe this is making some sort of sense that it didn't make before. But, you know, the standards are very important to our breeds if we want to have breeds. Mm -hmm. Um, we need to have breeds. I mean, that's what, that's what, <laughs> that's what keeps us breeds is believing we're breeds and breeding to keep breeds, mm -hmm. you know? And that means sometimes we have to say no to certain things, you know, just, just to keep our type unique. So sometimes when you, you know, when you think you have a vision and stuff, I mean, it, it's a lot of work to make that a reality. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, and it takes a number of dogs. But people say, how many generations? I don't think there's a formula for that. I think it's a breed when it's when somebody who's not, you know, doesn't know much about it can breed it and get dogs. And we can tell they're still of that breed. Mm -hmm. That's when it's solid, you know. Um, it doesn't matter how many generations. It doesn't matter where the foundation is. It matters what it is when you evaluate that dog and eventually you want to have dogs that are typey and then combine those and lock that in and continue to do that until, you know, it's like an old breed, like the beagles, like the boxers, mm -hmm. you know, something like that. Um, and we can't say yes to everything, you know? So I have a question for you. I use this as an example all the time. So, Everyone knows what a Rottweiler is and what a Doberman is. They're both black. They have the tan markings. You know, there's a lot of similarities. There's a whole lot of differences. So if we're talking about breeds, it's not the same to call a slim version of a Rottweiler. That doesn't make it a Doberman any more than, you know, if you have a shorter, heavy boned, short muzzled. Doberman that doesn't make it a Rottweiler, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think sometimes we get it mixed up with, you know, the quality according to the standard and what it really mm -hmm. is. Does that yeah, make sense? For sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a critical eye is important. So let's go back to the American Bulldogs. Um, <laughs> what was it like as a woman in that breed that seems like it was a very male dominated uh, it was at that yeah. time it was and it was i thought it was just great fun you know um i grew up with lots of <laughs> i grew up with lots of men and you know i grew up in a family that's always betting and challenging and you know i bet your dog i bet my dog's faster than yours i bet my dog can hang longer all that stuff and so that was um second nature to me you know and i i thought everybody's dogs acted like mine i i didn't realize that you know the big differences that were out there but um i was accustomed to that sort of lifestyle so you know it was great and i wasn't afraid to get you know down and dirty with the dogs i mean i had dog clothes and i had good clothes and that was just a given like you know we're going to wrestle these big American bulldogs. That's how it's going to be. And, and so 
you know, it was easy for me because of growing up on the farm and everything too, you know, it's kind of a different lifestyle on the farm, you know, and I was already, I already had all that experience mm -hmm. with me, you know, and those are big, strong dogs, you know, big, strong mm -hmm. dogs. Yeah. So, you know, I still feel today that the American Bulldog is a breed that should be respected, you know, greatly for it's a lot of dog. Mm -hmm. If you're not familiar with dogs, you know, that's that's a hard one to start on because they are so strong and powerful. What were some of the original lines that you had? Well, I liked uh, BTK blood. I liked that a lot because, you know, it was bullier. I liked the bully style. Um, I had some uh, Johnson dogs. I didn't have any Scott dogs. That was um, a little too clean for mm -hmm. me, you know. And so I stuck with the bullier things and I never did have hundred percent Johnson either, you know? So I uh, like the shorter stockier dogs. And I was, I was in it before Mufasa came. If you know Mufasa, um, he was a true, that was truly a game changer. When he entered the American bulldog scene, he was, he was something just, he was just a beautiful dog. I remember the first time I saw Mufasa, We'd driven eight hours to get to a show and we were close to finishing a championship on one of our dogs. And I thought that show was the show we'd do it at. And we pulled in, I turned over here and there's Mufasa as a young two year old. <laughs> and he was a jaw dropper. He really was. I hadn't seen him before. And I knew right then that I knew somehow right then when I saw that dog, that that our stuff was going to be out of style. I knew it, you know, and, and he was, he was amazing. He was really beautiful, but you know, we saw, we saw a lot of changes when Mufasa came on and yeah, it was, a, it was an exciting time in American Bulldogs because he was a game changer, you know, and very popular and yeah. And I, I mean, I knew the minute I saw that dog, I knew he was something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, you know, a lot, you don't get that opportunity a lot of times. I don't know how, how it struck me that I knew it. I mean, he was really just amazing for the time. But, you know, when you think to back to American Bulldogs and how they developed, you know, when we first started, you know, hardly any of them had a, had a suit of color of anything. They were white mm -hmm. dogs, you know, and, and then uh, Templars had some brindle solid dogs and, and Jack Robinson had some. You know, he had some patched up dogs. And so it, that was kind of an exciting time, too, because things were changing, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, it's it's not a whole lot different than the color today, you know. Right. Color. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. And, and it is. The thing is, if you can get it all together and it still looks like the breed, then that's that's amazing. Right. Yeah, I definitely like the color in American Bulldogs. Yeah, the American Bulldogs are just so strong and powerful and, you know, we weight pulled a lot and um, they're just a dog that, like I say, they're a lot of dog, you know, they require some exercise and some time and some strong fences and training and, you know, they're not for the mm -hmm. meek. Yeah, but I love that about them too. Oh. You know, we worked them, um, we did bite work and 
you know, the hang time's a blast. And I was a lot younger right. then. And it's a young person's dog, right. you know, unless you're strong, strong, mm -hmm. you know, but yeah, it was fun. I met, I met a lot of people in American Bulldogs that taught me so much because like I said earlier, we went from writing letters to buy dogs. You know, I was there when the, when DVDs started to come out, mm -hmm. you know, and you'd get a tape of the dogs you were interested in. Every kennel had a, you know, this DVD that they made and, you know, those were, those were big changes. When American Bulldog Resources began, there was like seven, seven sites on it. Yeah, I was there for that and the message boards. Um, yeah, and to see it turn into what it is today is quite amazing. Do you think breeding oldies kind of helped you with some of the negativity as far as like, did you get some of the blowback that you've gotten with shorties, with oldies when you were mixing English and American? Um, not as much because they'd already, you know, it was, it was not brand new mm -hmm. then, you know, they were already out right. there. Um, so, you know, I didn't really get that. I attribute some of that to, I was just really fortunate with the dogs that I bred that they came out, you know, typey and along the lines of what, you know, we were shooting mm -hmm. for. And I think that, you know, I think that was huge for not getting a bunch of negativity and uh you know that was a great time in dogs those years it you know it was a really nice time in dogs we didn't have social media you know and i mean social media has helped us but it's also hurt us in a lot of ways i feel but uh that was that was a good time in dogs there was a lot happening um you know, and a lot around you happening mm -hmm. and a dog that, you know, it commanded attention and a look when you walked it, it was still, you know, big enough. It was, um, it drew a lot of attention, mm -hmm. you know, especially when they look like bodybuilders and, you know, there was an obvious distinction from English bulldogs and from American mm -hmm. bulldogs at that time, you know, there was a, there was a distinction when it was an oldie, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, there wasn't a lot of shows and stuff for oldies. There were some, but, you know, the whole dynamic, I think, at that time was was different. You know, it, it was a, a different group of people. And the group of people behind the breed is what runs a breed, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, they keep things happening or they, you know, they, they let things fade away that, you know, maybe shouldn't. Um, but I think with oldies, they are such fat, cute wrinkly adorable puppies you know and then they're supposed to be healthier and you know not as expensive then as the english bulldog i mean it was like a win-win right, right you know but but there were a lot of breeders and there were a lot of you know there were a lot of good dogs and but it, but again it was a good time in dogs then you know it was a lot different than it is now and the dog population, you know, every every year it continues to grow. And that we just have more and more and more and more and more. And so we're seeing a lot of saturation with different breeds. And, you know, we're just seeing a lot of things that we didn't see back then because they weren't as popular mm -hmm. back then. Right. How do you think 
your time with Americans working them and, and competing and, and, and working type sports, how has that helped with your breeding? Has it, or is it just. Oh, that's helped tremendously. Whenever you do those things and you're committed to them, you know, we had good mentors um, and we had a lot of good people teaching us um, what to do, what not to do. I mean, so when you're in weight pulling, it's a, it's a very strong commitment. You have to commit to that because you will do something every day. If you take this seriously, every day you're going to do work with the dog and the harness. And, you know, first you have to get them used to that. You have to get them used to noise behind it. I mean, all those things has greatly helped me because it applies to all breeds. You know, it applies, even though there's differences in how you might train a different breed, all those things apply like you can't rush the training phases. So one of the first things you want to do in weight pulling a, a rookie wants to do is take that leash off and have them pull, you know. But if you take the leash off too soon, you know, you go backwards a few steps. And so everybody has to screw up here and there. I was always taking the leash off too soon, you know, getting all excited, take the leash off too soon, then we're going backwards. But all those things that I learned, you know, you learned conditioning, you learn how to feed, you learn how the harness, you know, we made our own harnesses because, you know, you couldn't get harnesses a lot of times. So we made our own. I ruined a lot of sewing machines figuring that out. But, you know, where the harness hits the dog is going to affect how they pull. Just things like that, mm -hmm. you know, the weather conditions. Um, back then, we didn't do rail so much. We did dirt. And pulling on dirt is a whole different thing. We had to jump over lines and, you know, move the carts and it'd be so much weight on them. And, you know, a dog will dig a hole and have to pull out of the hole. So that taught me, you know, just tons of stuff, little things you learn, but you can apply to all the rest of the breeds, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And you also learn that every little thing, like the weight pulling to showing of different breeds, they all have a different um, a different crowd behind the breed, okay? And so learning all the different people and, you know, you can learn from all of that. Even if you don't like the breed, even if it's not your thing, you can still learn from that. And so, you know, breeds are really a reflection of the people behind them. And some of those can be real interesting, you know, and they're learning from you as well. So, you know, there's just there's just so much that you can learn, even if you don't like the dogs. You know, if everybody remembers that, you know, good good for them. It'll get you, you know, there faster. Mm. Yeah, but we can learn from we can learn from all kinds of breeds, you know, and we can learn so much about type, you know, why why do they want to be built this way? Maybe they have a purpose, you know. That's one thing we're we're losing a little bit, well, a lot today is our dogs. What what is their purpose really besides bringing us some joy? Um, you know, we don't. They don't cart the groceries from the market. They don't, you know, hurt our our livestock. Um, the bulldogs aren't catching bulls anymore. <laughs> you know, all those things we don't really. Dogs kind of lost their jobs, and so when they have to make us happy my happiness and your happiness could be very different. But anyway, it boils down to it's an opinion. Mm -hmm. And if they have to haul 
a load in this wagon across this line, that's not an opinion. They either do it or they don't. And so it's a pass fail thing. And that's where, you know, that's where a lot of the, a lot of the struggles come in today is, you know, things are based on opinion and you just leave a lot of things wide open with, a, with an opinion, mm-hmm. you know, your experience affects that. Um, you know, the way you think affects that it's an opinion. And so, Things aren't as clear cut as a pass fail, you know, but if you're working a dog, you know, if you're doing protection, if you're weight pulling, you know, if you're hunting, the dogs either do it or they do not, you know. And when we talk about virtues, it's easier to talk about virtues when they have definite purpose and pass fails, because if you don't really understand virtues, I think this is a great way to understand it. If there's a coon hound that hunts really well, but he's cow hawked and his ear set's wrong, he still is a wonderful hunter. He still probably out hunts the dogs that are built correctly. So therefore he trumps that. So is that a dog with a virtue? Of course it is. His hunting ability is a great virtue. That's what he was bred to do. So, you know, when we talk about breeding around faults or whatever, you know, that'd be a great dog. You'd want to try that on because he does have an incredible virtue, his hunting ability. So let's try to keep the hunting ability. And let's try to straighten out the cow hawks. And that would make perfect sense. You could probably get it done easily and keep the, retain the hunting ability. But you know, when, when they don't have strong virtues, you know, it's a little harder to, to see through it all. It gets gray real fast. Yeah. It's kind of hard to justify to the community. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is, do you, th- do you, what, what is health testing done to the dog world, to the dog breeding world, the good and the bad? Well, I'll tell you, I'm probably not the one to ask about health testing because I look at it a little differently. I think the ultimate health test is a dog that's 10 years old and still active and with minimal vet visits. And I can attest to that on many, 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 many dogs. I think a lot of health testing is marketing because health testing does not guarantee you a healthy puppy. Might help you, but it does not guarantee it. Um, A lot of the things, you know, are... what what is going to change if you find out that it has this problem okay you might not make a breeding but you know i think it's misunderstood a lot of times um i think it's done for the wrong reasons a lot of times again i said i've had many dogs that i've kept their entire life from the minute they hit the floor of the whelping box till they you know passed away at a good old age that to me is better than any health mm-hmm. test there is, you know, um, I often wonder with these dogs that are the ultimate, they, they, they pass the health test great and all that. Are they ever kept their whole life? You know, are they just farmed out when they're, when they're done with puppies? I don't know. I'm not saying don't do health testing, but I'm saying, you know, healthy dogs are healthy dogs. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't have, I mean, I wouldn't breed unhealthy dogs. I I guess there's a lot of people that do, 
but uh, a health test isn't going to make that stop either. They're still going to do that. So, you know, if you're health testing and and it is really for health, more power to you. I hope you get healthy dogs. If you're health testing to sell your dogs, you might want to look into type a little bit. It would probably help. And that's about that's about what I feel. But, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't hear of all the problems we have today. Um, of course, there was not as many dogs as there there is today but some of the things today that you know i read online or i hear about or my friends call me with and they they live in the city and you know their vets has them scared to death over things um a lot of it's a lot of it is unnecessary it really truly is you know if you're a breeder you should be able to vaccinate your own dogs if you can't vaccinate a dog um you know you have to be able to do some of those things yourself, you know, um, and you have to get over. Dogs were made to heal themselves. Dogs were made to be healthy. Dogs were made to be our companion. Dogs were made to, you know, be by our side and basically eat garbage and watch the camp at night. Right. That's how they became domesticated. We can't lose all of that. You know, we cannot lose all of that. You know, if you want to shove antibiotics down your dog's throat every time it sniffles, you're just helping that, you know, you're helping that be lost. Um, but I know that I'm I'm losing that battle because, you know, people want to go to the vets and, and, and we do need vets. We do need vets, definitely. And we need them, you know, when we need them. We don't. But when we get carried away with that, then, you know, we're going to. We're going to lose some of the things that we're going to lose some of the health that they do have. Yeah. It's an interesting, it's an interesting question in, in my mind. I have a, a livestock guardian dog that uh, was born in a ditch outside, oh, raised really? outside until I picked him up and brought mm -hmm. him home, free fed everything. Mm -hmm. And when I brought him to mm -hmm. my wife worked at, at a vet at the time, um, when I brought him to the vet, uh, they were just sure that he was going to have all these health issues, but he was healthy and of course, mm -hmm. and the dogs that were bred mm -hmm. in climate controlled environments and had all the care in the world and mm -hmm. all the money put into them had a lot more health problems. So it's an interesting mm -hmm. concept that, that I, it's very interesting. I, I, yeah, it's hard for me as somebody who hasn't bred or, you know, that is still learning about the process and everything. It's, it's hard for me to even wrap my mind around, like, you know, I, what I've, what I've come to understand sometimes people just throw the baby out with the bathwater and instead of really looking at the mm -hmm. overall picture. And like you said, the dog that, that does its job, it's probably still worth breeding. Even if it has a couple of flaws, if you just breed it to a, a mm -hmm. female that, but, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm learning and I don't, I try not to have right. too many opinions. I'll leave that for the experts, but it's just interesting to know that, you know, you can get a healthy dog that was born in a ditch on a farm, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And a healthy dog is a, a healthy dog is a wonderful thing. Um, I think in, in today's world, um, you have to let a dog be a dog, you know, sometimes People hover so much and do everything. And, you know, dogs still want to be dogs. They really mm -hmm. do. And, you know, 
we make everything so dependent it's almost a disservice sometimes to the dog you know a lot of people don't want to put their dog in a crate ever and they believe crates are bad and you know but dogs on their own love a den to go in it's a safe secure environment for them but you know if something if something would happen and the dog would have to be in in a kennel somewhere you know it's terrible if they've never been in a kennel it's a very scary experience for them and you know it causes a lot of anxiety for them so you know nobody is saying keep your dog in a kennel 24 hours a day to keep your dog safe it needs to be introduced to a kennel you know and spend some some short periods of time in a kennel to you know get it accustomed to the kennel but i think it's a bigger disservice to not ever introduce a kennel yeah. you know to a dog and that's just one one little thing but you know just things like that and and all of us have different opinions you know but um you know all breeders aren't bad all vets aren't good you know you just that's just that's just life that's how it is so you have to sort through and uh you know find out for yourself just how that mm -hmm. works but yeah there's all bulldogs are not unhealthy you know they're not they're not all slugs they're not you know untrainable yeah that's it's kind of an interesting thing what's going on now. I mean, it's so important to get the mm -hmm. word out and me researching and following a lot of groups of different breeds and different philosophies and stuff. Mm -hmm. I've come across a lot of people who dislike brickless phallic breeds. And there's a, I know. a lot of like, to me, a lot of misinformation, it, you know, and these people are mm -hmm. coming from, you know, your border collies and your, Cattle dogs right. or your, you know, your greyhounds that, okay, yeah, you want a functional dog that does that kind of work. I want a dog mm -hmm. that's tough, resilient, mm -hmm. has no fear, but is going to mm -hmm. be on my lap 14 right. hours a day, doesn't need a ton mm -hmm. of exercise and doesn't need a lot of stimulation on that end. And you like the yes. look of it. There's nothing wrong with liking the look of something. That's our world yeah, today. For sure. You know, I mean, that's our world today, you know. So I'm with you on that. I, I don't, you know, if I have to get a border collie, I'm probably opting out of dogs because it's just too, it's not the look I like and it's not the activity level that yeah. I like. And I don't like things that come from behind and, you know, I'm just, I just know what I like and that's not for me, but if they want to have that, that's great. That's fine. But, you know, to blanket us all is very unfair. And I can't believe in this year, in 2023, as much as everyone, you know, is aware of all the stereotypes and all that, we still are stereotyping, you know, breeders more than ever. Mm -hmm. It, it's a it's wild it just you what's know your opinion on what's going on in europe with some of the you know the short-faced dogs that like well dogs and bulldogs and... Mm -hmm. i don't think it's fair and i don't think it's right um if people realized what bulldogs you know how many breeds infuse the bulldog at some point you know they bring so many things to the table <coughs> excuse me and 
I really do believe that people that dislike bulldogs just, okay, maybe they don't like the look, but then they don't research as far as they should, you know? Um, some people have never seen a bulldog that can run or breathe or any of that. And I, I know that for a fact because I have changed the minds of a lot of people with some of my very own dogs, you know, the bulldogs that I've had and used. And, and it's pretty mind-blowing to some people, you know. But it's a, it's a thing where, you know, I think everybody's an individual, you know. Um, the, having one cesarean and, and spaying the dogs, I mean, cesareans are, yeah, they're, it's individual, you know. Every breed has had a cesarean. Yes, bulldogs are more likely to have it. But um, those things that they show you, like the breed in 100 years ago and the breed today, whatever, and how much it's changed. I could go find examples today and do the same thing and make it look like it changed so much. I can find examples of both ends today, you know? So I think a lot of the information is, it just goes right along with the point the person's trying to make and it's in support of that. But, you know, if a person wanted to get out more um, and I'm not talking just to, to dog shows, you know, go to the dog parks, go, you know, go to some websites, see if you can make a visit. Nobody visits anymore at a, you know, at a, a kennel visit or whatever. I mean, kennels are almost becoming extinct, big programs, you know, it's too much for people. People have downsized. It's too much work. You know, it is a lot of work, but when we don't have programs anymore, <clears throat> I don't think we'll have breeds anymore. Not, not clearly defined, mm -hmm. you know, and that would, that'll be a sad day. Yeah, they're definitely they're definitely changing breeds there in Europe. I mean, you can't even breed a pug, mm -hmm. and they're they're infusing yeah. terriers and stuff, which I think is cool. I love that little concept, but it, it it's no longer a pug. I think it's terrible, yeah. and I'll tell you why. I've had dogs that look like anteaters that can't breathe. Right, for yeah. real. It's not always the length of no. the muzzle. It's not every smash face bulldog. It's not every long nose pit. No, I've had both. And uh, yeah, I can tell you it's, that's not the answer, you know? I mean, if certain people wish to do that, they can do that. And, you know, I think everybody should have their little, we shouldn't be forced to do those things because someone else thinks it's a great idea. Well, my. My no. opinion is too is like if you're gonna outlaw or heavily restrict breeding breakless phallic dogs, mm -hmm. why aren't you looking at Dobermans and why aren't you looking at golden retrievers that have some very serious issues in their in their bloodlines that are are causing their mm -hmm. dogs to die at five and six years old? Well, right. I have a ten year old right. bulldog laying next to me, <laughs> right? So that's what I say. I'm with you 100. Yeah. percent It's just not it's not fair, and you know. But we have to remember this. Sometimes we have people, you know, saying these things that are cat people. Maybe they don't even have a dog, you know? I mean, and that all makes a difference, you know? And that's why that's why it's important to, you know, of course, we're all about ourselves and our programs and, you know, that way. But still, for our breeds, it is important to, you know, we got to band together at some point and you know, believe what we say and, and know what we're believing in and work towards that. You know, 
you know? a lot of people that are involved in this are people who have a, a political agenda that goes far beyond dogs. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. to recognize mm-hmm. that is important. Yeah. And that's how you kind of meet some of their arguments mm-hmm. towards people who have and breed uh, short-faced dogs. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, the quicker that we realize that there's just a, a, a much larger agenda of wanting them to stop dog ownership, mm-hmm. not just yes. dog breeding. They want to stop dog ownership. They're, they're right. ra- radicals right. that are, are might as well mm-hmm. be Martians on this planet. So mm-hmm. they're just out of this world. Yes. Uh, unintelligent fools that, that uh, seem to have money and voice behind them. Yeah, and I think there is a lot of, you know, they do have a lot of a lot of uh power and money behind them and and you know, I think a lot of it is a misunderstanding and you know, to get out there and to put your own personal personal emotions and things aside and just, you know, listen with open ears, but I'm afraid it's it's not going to happen like that, of course, but you know, to stereotype dog breeders now or breeds or anything is just it's ridiculous to me you know um as a dog owners you know there's a lot of things that dog owners do to perpetuate the problems that we have you know and so yeah when it when something becomes so popular um i think these problems this is what we face yeah and so Dogs aren't, you know, dogs are the number one pet and and projected to be for years to come yet. And so, you know, if you're a dog behavioralist right now, I mean, the job security is high. You will be in business. Yeah. <laughs> you will have a job for a long time, you know. Yeah, that's a Because there's lots of things going on that, you know, people do and don't even realize. Yeah, kind of expand on that. Like, do you think that's really important for somebody who's wanting to start their own little program is being able to to handle their dogs and train them correctly? Do you think that helps for future dogs yes, like do. better men of the breed and in mm-hmm. your program? I do. I do think I think that affects um dogs and in, in a in a program more than people realize. Um, you know, every time a dog's wagging its tail, it doesn't mean it's happy. You know, it can mean a lot of things, but if we just always think it's happy, you know, then that could lead us right into a situation, you know, um, dogs aren't people as much as we want to make them people. They're not people. And so to understand dogs and, and the way they think, um, to have dogs long enough to realize you've been doing something wrong all these years, you know, that, that takes a little bit to, to swallow that and understand that. But that's a lot of our, that's a lot of our problem. You know, um, if I can, can I push a book on here that I think everybody in dogs should read? Yeah, absolutely. I love this book. It's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite books. It's called Dog Myths, M-Y-T-H-S, by Garrett Stevens. And it's, you can buy it on Amazon. But it's a, it's a book that will, 
open your mind a little bit to things that we do that maybe we don't even realize we're doing, you know, to the dogs and, you know, how we create, you know, the codependence and, and the things like that, how we, you know, change their change their attitudes and their behavior and the way they look at the world through our actions. And it's it's a kind of a surprising book, I think, for a lot of people because we don't realize these things that we do. Just like I said, you know, every time the dog wags its tail doesn't mean it's happy. You know, they have a different wag for, you know, if it's, uh, you know, he's looking at a, you know, a cat and all you see is the tail wagging and he wants to get the cat. The tail is wagging differently than when you come home from work, you know, but if you only perceive the tail wagging, you think everything's happy. That's where we can have some, have some problems, you know, but, you know, uh, every breed is different in the way and every dog is an individual too. That's a, that's deep thinking, but it's very, very true. You know, there are greyhounds that don't run. There are bulldogs that don't slobber. There are, you know, all those things are real. And so, you know, when you get a dog, if you, you know, how do you, how do you decide which dog you want? And you're just flipping through the magazine and the Tibetan Mastiff looks cool because he's so big and his hair's poofy and, you know, he's so majestic. But, (laughs) you know, if you have the space and time and the dog experience for that, that's a wonderful thing. If you don't, that can be you know, one of the worst decisions you've made, you know, so we have that go on a lot. And, you know, when that happens, it's bad for the dog. It's bad for the person, you know, a mismatch is a bad thing where a great match, the dog has a better chance of staying there forever, getting more training, you know, living the, the life with one family for the, the whole duration of its life, you know, that's why type is important. If somebody wants a bulldog, they want it to look like a bulldog. They don't want it to look like kind of like a bulldog, you know? So all those things are important for, you know, just more than more than the show ring. You know, it's important for so many other things. But, you know, imagine if you wanted a dog that's set on your lap or something and you got a, like we said, a border yeah, collie. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it can sit on your lap. But you're gonna fight it most yeah. of the time to do that because it it wants to go herd and chase and jump and run, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah that that book Dog Myths is a great book. Everybody should read it, no matter where you're at in your career. If you haven't read it, it's a good one. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna before I forget, I'm gonna read a question that I got from um, Martin from uh, Ferreza. Uh, American Bulldogs from my home state of Oregon. So I got to give him a shout out. Um, he asked, he was talking about line breeding and inbreeding and how sometimes he has gotten really good results with line breeding and other times he's gotten really bad results with it. And same mm-hmm. with um, outcrossing. What What's your philosophy between all of those, the line in and out crossing? What, when is it appropriate okay. to do each one of those? Well, you have to look past the fact that it's a line breeding or an inbreeding, and you have to look at the dogs that are you're going to use in this breeding. Um, 
because it not only doubles the good, it doubles the bad. It can bring out, you know, it can match up genes that, you know, both parents were carried, but you didn't see them on the surface. Then it can bring them out and, and bring them to the surface. So, you know, I think that's why they say leave the line breeding and inbreeding to people who are, you know, grown the line themselves and lived the line themselves, you know, because they know exactly what they're dealing with. But any breeding, you know, there's no guarantee on any of it. We do the best we can. If you get eight out of 10, that's good. But, you know, I can tell you from my experience, match the traits you like with the with the pedigree you like you know but if the dog is not showing what you like definitely don't inbreed it you know don't inbreed to fix a, a fault or something because that's not what it's for it's it's for when you really want to lock down what you have and you know it's also will test what's back there and it, it'll come out if it's you know if it's back there but it's always a gamble. I've I've done the same uh, repeat breeding, and had the second litter turn out not near as good as the first litter, which which was a mind blower to me because usually I would get similar results, you know. But um, in any breeding, we can study, we can plan, we can do all those things, but we we can't get it one hundred percent that it's going to be right, and so we'll always have to sort litters. We'll always have to you know, just evaluate what comes out of it. And hopefully it's more good than bad. But like I say, eight out of 10 is, is pretty good. You know, they say there's no perfect dogs. Okay. But there's some that are pretty close to perfect too. You know, don't forget about that little slim percentage and, and hopefully, you know, you'll get them, you'll get it. So you know what's coming out of it next. I don't know how long is how long has he been breeding? A long time, or you know, I don't offend you if you you're a long time breeder, but you know, if you know the lines and truly have raised puppies from it and grown them from birth to death, then you know, you know, then you have a way better idea what's in there and what's behind that, what you, you see most of. Because I look at the siblings of the dog you're breeding, I think it holds so much more information than just, you know, what's behind the dog. Look at the siblings of the dogs you're breeding. If, I mean, that's, that's what you get most of is right there in that circle. So if you got the one straight dog out of the cow, cowhawk litter, you're probably going to see cowhawks, even though your dog is straight, you know? So when you're, you know, when you've worked with the lines, for several years you you know those siblings and you know what's possible you know just a little bit more and so you want to line it up so you have a lot of the good even if you want to fix something okay you can fix something just make sure it has a lot of the good to carry on too sometimes i think i'm i just talk so much my answers are confusing but if they are you have to tell me i think i explained that so you can understand what i'm trying to get no, out definitely absolutely can you explain to say somebody who's been living under a rock who does not know what a shorty bulls and bull is and what it the what created the shorty bull okay well the shorty bull is the coolest little dog on the planet if you're into little dogs <laughs> no um so when we name a breed um that should be the first clue to the breed 
So you can, you know, something's clicking like where it came from or what it is. So shorty bull, it should look short and it should look bully. When I say bully, you know, it should look bulldogish. That's what bully is. Heavy bones, you know, short, stout appearance. Um, so short and it needs to look short, you know. Um, bully's going to tell you it's bulldoggy. And then... I can go into my little spiel, you know, it's an, it's a version of a bull breed, you know, that suited my lifestyle, which was active and shorty bulls can do a little bit of a lot of things. So they can wait, pull, they can run and play, they can hang, you know, they're not going to do it for long periods. They're going to do it for short periods. Um, so think power lifter. Short bursts, everything they do, short bursts, you know, and um, they have a lifespan of 10 good years before they slow down. That was one thing that I specifically bred for was a little more longevity because seven years is just not enough for me. And um, they're very convenient because they're small. They're convenient to my lifestyle. You know, I can fit. The cages are little cages, you know, the poops are little, the, you know, and, and coming from big dogs, you know, that was important to me as I got older, you know, but they do appeal to a lot of different lifestyles, but they, but make sure it appeals to your lifestyle, you know, along with what you like to look at. They, they don't need, you know, they don't need to be run miles a day or anything like that. They are short haired. You know, they're they're very easy to care for, easy to have around. And what mm -hmm. was the, the the original breeds that was was used in them? Oh, that was the French Bulldog, the English Bulldog, and the Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Those were the three breeds I used because to be a breed you must use three or more breeds. Um just two's a crossbred. And I I brought those breeds in for different things that I was hoping to keep, you know? And so <clears throat> the French Bulldog was used to ensure that it was, you know, under 15 inches tall and, and stayed small without losing all the bully features, you know? And the English Bulldog was my base. That was my, that was the base of my shorty bulls were, you know, healthy, muscular English Bulldogs with with drive and ability with limits you know their abilities it is limited but you know it's not it's not um it's not harmful you know that they can still do things that you know they can still get upstairs and stuff like that and so you know i was i was just trying to switch a few things about the english bulldog and so those other two breeds are you know what helped me switch it i mean the bull and the terrier are so opposite you know there's they're so opposite and they bring totally different things and so uh that was real that was real interesting to do that because you know the the bulldog was selected you know selectively bred by us to be what it is and the terrier it just is what it is you know so the terrier traits are very strong because that's like the ultimate dog, the natural form of a dog. You know, it can survive. It was built to endure and run and, you know, it was built to do all those things. 
and that that type is very strong you know so that's you know we can manipulate it into this over here but naturally you know just left to its own that's going to be the first features to wash off or the you know exaggerated bulldog mm -hmm. features yeah so those were the three breeds i used and then <coughs> excuse me and then i uh you know that from the very beginning the type was real important to me what it what it looked like because that affects so many different things you know and being a judge for so long i was super picky about confirmation and you know just bullheaded enough that i was going to make it right i was going to make it you know like i liked and and i did that for a long time and then you know keeping it keeping it typey you know that's another that's another thing a, a new breed has to go through is you know can it be left in the hands of others to keep it typey you mm. know and typey doesn't mean it doesn't mean identical. Consistency does not mean it's identical. So when people say, "What's the ideal dog?" Well, there should be more than one because we all know that there's not one stud that can be bred to every bitch and improve things. There's not one, you know, because it takes two to do this. So when people say, you know, "What's the ideal?" We can show them. Okay, this one's ideal, this one's ideal, this one's ideal. But they're, they shouldn't look identical. They just shouldn't be so far apart that they look like different mm -hmm. breeds, you know? And I think that's, I think it takes a while for people to slow down enough to realize that. You know, it's a, it's a, an illustration you're looking at most of the time. <clears throat> but out here, out here in the field, it's real life, you know? And there's, there's more than one dog that, you know, there's more than one dog that is ideal. The first thing you need to think of is if I saw that dog at night, if I saw its shadow, would I know what breed it is? If I saw it in the daylight, by looking at it, could I tell what breed it is? That's what you need to ask yourself. And then, you know, if a dog's typey or not, you know, type is what, what makes a bulldog recognizable to you. And that's what makes a poodle recognizable to you as a poodle. That's how you know that this is a poodle, that's a bulldog. And then when you see them together, you know, like the Labradoodle, whatever, you know that's not a poodle, it's not a Labrador, it's something different. That's type. Right. Yeah. And what was uh when you when you selected this staffy, what, what was your can you say the lines or is that that's something you don't want to talk about? No, no I'm not going to say the lines um, because I select it just like I do everything. Um, sometimes I just have to keep the dog and see how it did. And if it met my specs, then I'd use it, you know. Um, but what I looked for in that was I looked for vigor. I looked for health. Um, they have a different musculature um to them and i looked for those things without being without appearing large or fragile fine boned or mm -hmm. you know and you know it wasn't that breed is the genetics is strong there and it carries on strongly and so you know you can't say it's like the two-step every time you breed these dogs you know, you can't say, okay, 
one part this and two parts that and one part this and two parts that. It's not always like that. You know, so it's like being a good cook. You know, yeah, it may need this in the soup, but it's going to taste different depending on what brand you use. It might, the salt, look at salt. The salt is really strong if you use, you know, the, the natural salt, the pink mm -hmm. salt, the Celtic salt. That's strong flavored salt. That's like dogs, you know. If you use Morton's salt, well, it takes a lot more to get it so too salty, mm -hmm. you know. And so, no matter what the pedigree is, the breed, all that, you still need to pay attention to what's in front of you and what comes out of that and then go from there every single time, you know. And so, it's not just one little formula that's going to get you there. What were some of the, the roadblocks that, that surprised you in your beginnings of, of creating this composite breed of made up of three different distinct breeds? Well, I thought I was going to make it a lot bullier, a lot faster than I did. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I knew those genetics were strong, didn't realize how strong they were until I, um, you know, had a few breedings of it and raised the puppies. Um, I learned just so many things about the traits that we see and how, you know, how the law of halves doesn't really work in dogs. Like you're not going to breed a 90 pound dog and a, and a 40 pound dog. And, you know, you're going to get 90 and 40 and some in the middle, you know, and you have to, you know, you have to line that up. You know, one breeding isn't going to hold you very long on certain things but one breeding like one breeding when you add this the staffordshire bull terrier in there is going to take you a long ways you know because it's the total opposite look that we want you know i wanted other things than the look mm -hmm. you know does that yes, make sense absolutely. yeah so you know it's also important if you're going to do this on this scale like so out of 64 dogs in the pedigree when 56 of those dogs are my first picks and I've grown them from birth to death, I kind of know a little bit about the line. When I keep up with the siblings, I know a lot about the line and I know a lot about what I'm going to get, what I'm going to put in, what I'm going to get. And those are the things that are unique. You know, th that's unique about my program. Uh, not too many people do that anymore. That's a lot of years in dogs to to have your name all over the pedigree. It also keeps you very, very, very accountable. Mm -hmm. You know, those are your decisions. Um, but that's like unheard of. But that's, you know, that's where I'm at today from doing that. And a lot of things I can read in a book, but you, but it's, it still isn't 100% going to be that way. Sometimes we defy science, you know, sometimes we're miracles. They say it'll never happen and, and you'll be the one it'll happen to. Or they say, you know, it's going to be this easy and you can't make it work for anything. That's that's real dogs. So, you know, it's not. I learned that through personal experience. It's not concrete. Everything is not concrete. You know, amazing stuff can happen. But some things, <clears throat> you know, some things you have to really work for them you know and 
you know, that's how you learn if, if it's worth trying to breed around this fault, you know, or, or just let it go and start somewhere different with a different, different animal, different dog. But yeah, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about, um, you know, just, just everything in dogs, how to raise dogs, uh, what not to do. The raising of a dog from a puppy to an adult, a lot of people kind of want to skip that part. But, but that's where you learn all, all that's where you learn the blood, you know, to know the blood is to grow the blood. That's where you learn that. And, and that's very important if you want to, you know, have a program and you have your mind made up about what you want to end up with and what you want to produce. Was there ever a time where you just said, what have I got myself into? And Oh man, I say that like every <laughs> week. Are you kidding me? Oh, really? No, there's a lot of times I've said that and, and, uh, you know, there's times you want to just throw in the towel and breaks never hurt anybody. If you feel you have to take a break, man, take a break. You're not going to miss that much. Nobody can take away what you know. Sometimes starting over is the best thing you can do. You know, don't hang on to, if you're not happy with it, you know, don't make more of it. You know, try, try maybe one time, but if you're not happy with it, don't make more of it. Because that's not going to make you any happier, you know. But I mean, all in all, you got to have fun to be doing it this long. It's been fun. I can't say it's all been blood, sweat, and tears, and hard work, and all that. No, it was. I've had a lot of fun. Um, I've had a lot of great opportunities. But I mean, like I said in the beginning, I am so still intrigued with dogs. Intrigued is a is a, it's the perfect word for it, you know. I'm intrigued. It just fascinates me. How hard is it for you to somebody who has the experience and, and the knowledge to rely on other people to help your program? Has that been the, a, a difficult process? And is it? Yeah. It's, and ha it's very difficult. Yeah. And how, how do you, how are you able to give up some of that control and, and what do you look for into somebody that's going to be worthy enough to be able to help you carry on this? Program? Well, I do have some people that are great and they're wonderful help, but you know, if you want someone to do all the hard work and, and you know, you're going to miss out on that, that's when it doesn't work. You know, it just, it doesn't work, but I want to be involved in everything from the minute the puppies are born I there's certain things I look for and things I want to see and I know how I do things and I want to do it my way because I know it works, you know? So, I mean, partners on some things are okay. Um, and partners on other things just don't work, you know, like you think they will. And I just think with a program, I don't want to have to rely on somebody you know, if I need a stud service or something like that, I don't want to have to rely on others every time I need that. So, you know, I have the tools that I need here and I can always make it work, you know, different ways. And I think that's very important. I think programs are important to dog breeds. If you think back to when, you know, when certain people quit, what happened to the dog breed, you know, because there's certain people with programs that, you know, they just push a breed in the direction it goes. And when they quit, you know, it goes a different direction or it stops. And uh, 
you know, I think that, I think you just, it's just, in my opinion, and maybe I'm just dated old school, programs are where it's at. Everybody with two dogs trying to do everything, it just, it doesn't work like that because you don't have the learning experience. You don't, you don't get the learning experience. You know, it doesn't come the same way as it does with a program with a serious breeder behind it. No, I agree. I agree. You know, I'm not saying, you know, pet people can't be, you know, there's a lot of pet people eventually will want to breed. Okay. There's a lot to that, but you know, sometimes they do want to breed. They do, you know, make the conversion over to it and they do fine. They need mentors and they need someone who can be patient, you know, and, and then, then they have to do their part, which is, you know, they have to listen. If you want to learn all that stuff the hard way, you know, that's a lot of time. And does anybody have that kind of time? You know, that's the whole thing with the kennel. People don't have the time. They don't have the space. They don't want the responsibility. And, you know, we're seeing kennels, you know, phase out all the time. But it's definitely going to have an effect on our breeds. Yeah, you know, with this economy, it's just exacerbated mm -hmm. that. And, and yeah, I think that it's a, a hard question and to, to pro approach to the dog community. Like, I know a lot of people like the idea of having their own kennel, but are mm -hmm. they willing to? But it is. It's, it's a lifestyle. A, it's a real commitment. Yeah, it's a real commitment. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a huge responsibility. Mm -hmm. How has the shorty bull changed from the, say the first 15 years of your, you know, creating this well, it has to, to where it's at to now and, and how has the, the standard in the, in the, in, in the dogs today been refined from the, the beginnings? Mm -hmm. Well, like I said, in the beginning, the standard, the standard was something that um, I had in my head before, you know, it really, I knew what I wanted. I knew what I wanted and I'd, I'd written standards before then. So that was something I knew. If you go back and listen to any of my beginning stuff, read any of it, you'll see me use the word classic bulldog features a lot. You know, I talked about the base being an English bulldog. There were so many things about the English bulldog that I just wanted to just tweak a little bit. So you know, but I wanted, I wanted the skeletal frame. I wanted it right first, and then I just wanted to add mass to that. And you know, there's certain there's a certain way that I like to build a dog, and I like to, you know, I like to build it from the rear forward, from the ground up. You know, and I'm going to put my finishing touches on its face or something like that. And so, um, has it changed? Oh yes, it's changed. It was meant to change. For years, I called it a work in progress, but, you know, we don't have another word for a breed in the beginning stages besides a work in progress. What are we going to call it, you know? And so, you know, it's not really a breed is talking about a population of dogs with consistent type and, you know, they act this way and blah, 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 but it's a population. So, you know, you have to get a population you know, going, but my thing was I wanted it rock solid type and I wanted it, 
I wanted the frame and stuff to stay solid while I added the mass on. And then I wanted to solidify that. And then, you know, when that was solidified, then we're closer to being a breed. So, yeah, it has changed um, somewhat. Uh, like my dog Rampage, he was he was what made so many very nice dogs for me. And he was like the the frame was right, the size, the attitude, so much right about him. But, you know, just to make this really simple, do I want to make a lot of rampages today? No, I don't. He got me here. He did his job. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. But I'm not I'm not trying to make him look like rampage, you know, his his look exactly. Um, I don't know how to how to explain that, you know, better than that, but it takes a long time to make a breed. It takes a long time to make a population, you know, so even though I had a lot of dogs to work with and I haven't changed my mind on the on the stuff that I wanted from the beginning, um, it still takes a lot of time, you know, to get there. But I feel we're there. Um, I feel feel like I have probably the best quality of dogs that I've had ever that meet my criteria, you know, of the type that I tried to instill. You know, I knew it would take long, <clears throat> but when you look at them today and you know the name Shorty Bull, you can definitely see what that is. You know, there's the clue, Shorty Bull, and then you look at one, of my dogs, you're not going to think anything else besides short and bully, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that the, the, you know, we, we can't just go all the way exaggerated. There's no need to do that. You know, I feel like when some breeds are coming up, they got to, you know, break both barriers on both ends and then come together to see, you know, where the boundaries are. I know where the boundaries are, mm -hmm. you know? And so, it's it just took a long time to get there but you know art takes a long time it takes a long time to you know build a solid structure and so has it changed it has changed and it was meant to change but it hasn't really changed as much as you might think from the beginning to now on my personal yard mm -hmm. i think it i think it would might be surprising you know the things that have stayed the same but you know, I don't want to go back to the beginning. I think these are much better, much better dogs than in the beginning. You know, but you have to start somewhere. What do you think's better about them than the beginning? I think what's better is I have the look that I like. It's, you know, the classic bulldog features. I've got that. But I still have more health and more function. So I think that's better. In the beginning, you know, a frame, you know, a frame is a good, a good solid frame. You have to have that, okay? But to have type, you need the mass that goes with it. I mean, it's great that all its feet point forward and its top line's there, but without the mass, that's missing a piece of the type, you know? So that's where I think they're better. Mm -hmm. You know, they're fine-tuned a little bit more, you know. that. And when people say fine-tuned, when I say fine-tuned, it's like, 
if you're working with wood and you know you cut your piece out and you put it together it looks pretty good but you still have to sand it and then after you sand it you know that really brings it more into perspective how pretty it is so that's that's fine tuning and then maybe you stain it you know and then depending on what finish you put on it so all those little fine tuning things um they might be small things but in the end all those small things together that's the difference between good and great mm -hmm. you know that's the difference right there and so you know every dog like i say is individual so you, you know you have to do you know different things for different dogs but when you have a program um it's it's just like any other kind of art you know you need a little dab of this and a little dab of that and you know but i really like where they are i mean i've never been happier with them ever as i am now That's awesome yeah it took a long time oh yeah i, I can't even i can't even fathom really but i i'm sure it did take a long time um it did. what uh what registries if nobody knows i mean i'm talking to the the news, okay. but what re registries do, do you associate with the short of the wood? Well, with the registries, um, back when I did this, you know, there was not so many registries and it was kind of unheard of. They wouldn't really listen to you if you wanted to, you know, register your project or whatever you want to call it your mud. Yeah. So I, <clears throat> I started the registry for the shorty bulls, which is the BBC, the bull breed coalition. That's the mother registry, and, you know, that's the where we document the lineage and things like that. So in time, you know, other registries came up. And so to keep a, a breed on the track, you know, we ask that the other registries that want to dual register, let's say you want to go to a show and they say, okay, well, you have to be registered with this club. Okay, that's cool. You have to have proof that you are indeed a shorty bull, you know, before before you can do that. So the BBC proves the authenticity of your dog with those BBC papers. Um, it's the pedigree and the per dog's permanent name. And you can take a copy of those. And then there are other registries that accept that as proof of authenticity. And you can get your dogs registered with a multitude of different registries the brc global registry the abkc the abr the, i mean they're just all of them basically you can do that if you have the you know this the bbc papers do you ever foresee in your lifetime uh any kind of recognition from the akc well that's an interesting thing and it's 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 a good question um I was in talks with AKC a couple of years ago for quite a while and but I was we were in we were in talks for um a summer and it was very interesting and I'd gone to Westminster and you know I'm I'm familiar with a lot of the AKC um things they do and way they think and stuff and I just I didn't feel at the time that that was going to benefit our breed at all uh, the reason I say that is it's too easy to 
even though you know you have a cesarean here and there they're easy to breed and and raise and so i didn't want it to become commonplace um it's not it's not gonna bring us you know more money or a better dog or or anything like that it's just going to there's going to be more people want to breed something new that you know I don't know if their heart's really in it. Maybe they're just tired of what they're doing. And, you know, a little bit of that's fine. But the AKC, I know the grass looks greener to everybody, usually, about the AKC. Um, but I would suggest going to Westminster. Go do some of those things where you think the grass is greener and, you know, ask the questions and, and find out, you know, their answers. It's I think it'll be different than <laughs> different than what you think. You know, we see the dog shows a couple times a year on TV. It looks glamorous and, you know, it looks rich. And um, that's not really, you know, how it is all the time there. But I got to wrap okay. this up. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry no, to cut it okay. short, but yeah, yeah no, I, they must need me over here. I appreciate your time and, uh, I'll yeah. uh, connect with you at a later date and please, please come sure. on for round two if you can. Oh, I'd love to. Thanks so much yeah. for having me. And thanks to all those who listened. And, you know, at the end of the day, remember, this is just my opinion from my experience. And we know in dogs, there's a lot of ways to do things. So, you know, my way is not the only way at all. No, But yeah, I appreciate you so much. And uh, I'll I'll be in touch okay. with you soon. Thanks. You, Bye. Mm -hmm. Bye bye.